You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. Good morning, everybody. Like Josh said, my name is Jamin Metcalf. I'm a volunteer here at Banner Church, if you don't know me. Uh, And this is the third week in our series on the Gospel of Mark. And the theme of our series for this is the Messiah, exploring what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so as we enter this week, we're going to be looking at the chapter, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Mark. Uh, and I've entitled this sermon, if you're taking any notes, The Gift of the Sabbath, Christ's Answer for a Restless World. Uh, I think that we live in a world that's a little bit restless today. Has anyone else noticed this? Anyone this week at any point feel like you just needed a nap? Like you were at work and you're like, I, I wish I could be back in kindergarten where they had a room in the back where I could go take a nap, just lay down on a cot. I really wish I could have that. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate naps. I, I thought they were the worst. Even I remember being in school, just not wanting to stay down on my bed in preschool or in kindergarten. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to nap. I want to go play. And now, as an adult, I'm like, I need, I need a nap always, <laughs> always and forever. Uh, and we feel that way. I've never been good at naps. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my mom and dad were pastors of a church, and At the church we were at, we had two services in the morning, and then later that night, we had a third service. And so my parents being pastors, they were at every single one of those preaching. It was a long, difficult day. So in between that second and that third service, right after lunch, we'd go back home, and my parents would say, okay, as a family, we're all going to take a nap. Really, they needed the nap, and they told my brother and I, you have to join us in this. You're going to rest on Sunday. And I always hated it. I couldn't stand it. I was kind of an energetic kid. I always wanted to go off and do my thing. And I remember when I was about 9 or 10 years old, I was starting to get really into skateboarding at the time. And so all I wanted to do that Sunday was to go out and skateboard. And my parents said, no, 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 no. This is Sunday afternoon. We nap on Sunday afternoons. So you need to go to your room, stay quiet, go ahead and sleep. We're going to go to our room and sleep. And so I went into my room, and I was in there, and I kept twiddling my thumbs and pacing the room, like figuring out, like, I I can't sleep. I don't know. I need to do something here. And I was like, I can't go outside. I'm not allowed to go outside and skateboard. So what can I do? And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I can't skateboard right now, but I want to get myself prepared to go grind some rails later. I need some wax for my skateboard. But I'm nine years old. I don't have any money to buy wax for my skateboard. So I had an idea. You know what's made of wax? Crayons. What if I made myself a wax bar out of crayons? So I went searching through my room looking for crayon boxes. I found every blue crayon I could find. And I put all the blue crayons in a little cup and went to the kitchen real quietly. I took off the wrapper on all of them, put them in there. I had them in my little cup. And I was like, okay. Here's the plan. I'm going to put this in the microwave and see if I can't melt all the crayons down to make myself a wax bar for my skateboard. So I put it in there. I slowly and quietly, I close the microwave door, and I set the microwave for five minutes. Bad idea. (laughs) Bad idea. 
So I set the microwave for five minutes, and I'm looking through the window, and I see the cup start to turn. And 30 seconds into my incredible experiment, the cup explodes. And blue crayon goes all over the microwave. And I freaked out. I was like, oh, what do I, oh no, what do I do? And I opened it up. It looked like I had massacred a village of Smurfs or something. It just, I was like, oh. And my parents ran out of their room. They heard the explosion. And they're like, Jamin, what's going on? You're supposed to be napping. I was like, I know. I don't know what I did. And they looked in there. They saw the blue all over. Needless to say, it was not a good day for me. I had to scrape all the blue off of the microwave. My parents were really upset with me. But I always was just a restless kid. It was really difficult for me. Uh, and it actually kind of stayed with me through my whole life. I think that uh, as I got into college, I started becoming a little bit of a, of a workaholic. I just, I had to do everything. I worked two jobs while I was in college. I took extra credits. And I was like, you know what? Who needs sleep? And that's not uncommon for college students, right? They, yeah, I don't need sleep. Then I got out of college, and I began working as a teacher. And last year, the end of 2018, in the fall, I was working as a teacher, which, if you don't know, teachers work about 50, 60 hours a week which is, it, it can get rough. So I'm working about 50, 60 hours a week. I also, at the time, got into grad school. So I was taking grad classes. So add on another 15, 20 hours a week of work and stress. At the time, I also was volunteering to teach English to refugees in central Phoenix. So add on another 15 to 20 hours. If you're counting, we're up in the 80s now. This is getting bad. At the time, too, uh, with all of this, I was struggling with insomnia, uh, something I struggled with for a long time. So I was getting about three to four hours of sleep a night. I was running myself ragged, but I kept thinking to myself, like, nah, you know what? I got this. I can do this. I'm fine. I can go. I can just keep going. Then at the time, too, I had another stress added on. I went through a really emotional breakup, and I said, yeah, you know what? It's fine. I can hold it in. I'm just going to work harder. I can just ignore those feelings, just kind of press them down, keep them in here, and then one day, I'll die. It'll be great. So I keep working, and I'm just running myself ragged, and I'm going forward, going forward, and uh, all of a sudden, one day, it all came to a stop. I woke up one morning, and there was a pain in my stomach, near the top of my stomach, that was so sharp and so intense, I couldn't get out of bed. I was hunched over in my bed, and I had to kind of reach up and get my phone off of my shelf. And I called Pastor Josh, and I said, Josh, I, I, uh, I, there's something wrong with me. There's something going on. I can't get out of bed. I need someone to take me to the hospital. Are you doing anything this morning? <laughs> Sorry to disturb you. <laughs> so Pastor Josh said, no, find someone else. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he said, no, no. He, he came, and he picked me up. And he put me in his car, and he drove me to the hospital, and the doctor ran some tests on me and discovered that uh, I was in the beginning stages of getting stomach ulcers because of all the stress that I had just been bundling up inside. I'd been so restless and running myself so ragged. And it was a, a huge moment for me. The doctor told me I had to take two weeks off of work. I had to stay in bed for two weeks. And it was one of the first times I'd ever done something like that, where I actually stopped, hit a brick wall, and was forced to sit down and rest. It was a very, very difficult moment. Fast forward just a month or two after that, uh, I started getting a little bit better. And then I went to visit my parents who live in Thailand. 
and I was there, and I had another stress kind of related flare-up with this, and I ended up in an emergency room in Thailand. And I'm sitting there in the emergency room getting ready for them to put a camera down my throat in order to see what was going on. And I just sat, and I was like, God, what, what am I doing? What's going on? And it was a huge moment for me. And this whole last year has been a process where I've been walking through this idea of rest, wrestling with this idea that God wants to give me rest, that the Sabbath was made as a blessing for me, and to ignore it is actually to ignore the grace of God in your life. Something I had to learn the hard way. I don't think I'm alone. I think that we live in a restless world today. I think that even though we're surrounded by material luxuries and conveniences that would have astounded our ancestors, still we find ourselves day in and day out feeling fear, worry, envy, anxiety, dissatisfaction. We cannot seem to get the rest that we desire. Every time we try to grab and reach for that rest, it slips through our fingers like fine sand. We can't find it. I think that part of the reason is actually due to our culture that we live in in America in the 21st century. There are two gods that I think we in America have begun to worship without even realizing it. The gods of accumulation and the god of accomplishment. We've based our whole identity, the value of our lives, upon what we can acquire and what we can achieve. Thinking that if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just achieve a little bit more in my life, if I could just get that promotion or that car or that raise, if I could just get more, then I would find rest. Then I would be complete. I would be fulfilled. But I'm here to tell you today that the message of the Sabbath that we find in Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3 is that nothing in this world can give you rest. There's nothing in this world that can give you fulfillment except for the Messiah, except for Jesus Christ himself. And that's really the message of the Sabbath that I want to bring you guys today. Uh, to, I think that in our modern culture, I love George Monbate, who's a journalist who's done a lot of research on kind of what we're seeing in our culture. He said that part of the reason we're so restless is because of the advertisements of our consumerist culture. He says to keep their markets growing... Companies must keep persuading us that we have unmet needs. In other words, they must encourage us to become dissatisfied with what we have. To be sexy, beautiful, happy, relaxed, we must buy their products. They shove us onto the hedonic treadmill, on which we must run ever faster to escape a growing sense of inadequacy. C.S. Lewis described the absurdity of this mindset when he says that the modern mindset is the absurd notion that the chief business of life should be the progressive attainment of goods we do not have rather than the appreciation and enjoyment of goods we already have. Far too often, we try to be the gods of our own life and seek satisfaction and rest in those things that ultimately will only make us more restless. 
St. Augustine, the fourth century African theologian and pastor, put it this way. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Everything in our culture wants to tell us that our worth and our value lies in what we can produce. But the message of the Sabbath is that your value lies in Christ's work, in Christ's work alone. It's not about what you have or what you can accomplish. It ultimately will not bring you rest. Christ has come to bring that rest to you. So before we jump in to the scripture of Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3, I want to go through a little bit of the background of the Sabbath and where this comes from in the scriptures. Would you guys turn with me to the very beginning of your Bible? Genesis, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The concept of the Sabbath appears to us at the very beginning of the story of the scriptures. You see, God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in it. And on the seventh day, he rests. And the world enters a perpetual Sabbath. A day of completeness. But we fall away from that Sabbath. So read this chapter with me. If you're there, say, I got it. Okay, it says, God saw everything he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because On it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Notice here, it says that God rested three times. The word that's used there for rest is the word Shabbat, the Hebrew word Shabbat. Now, we translate Shabbat into English as Sabbath, but sometimes I think that we miss the full connotations of this word. What it means to Shabbat in Hebrew is to stop to cease, and to rest. God is not on the seventh day taking a nap, necessarily. He's not like, oh, man, this was tiring, all this work I had to do. I need to go take a sleep up in heaven. No, what's going on here is God is resting in authority over a world that is now complete and full and good. He says over and over again during the days of creation, and God saw it was good, And there was evening and there was morning that day. Notice something really important here, what's left out of the scripture. On this day, the seventh day, there is no evening and no morning. The world was complete. It was full. It entered into the Sabbath where everything was rightly ordered and harmonious. It was perfect. And God rested in authority over that perfection. Now, the seventh day is really important, the number seven. How many of you have ever heard before the idea of, like, seven is a number of, of uh, you know, completeness? Or it's, yeah, it's a number of perfection. Well, there's a reason for that. We actually see it in this verse right here. The word seven in Hebrew is the word shavah. Can you guys say shavah? 
Shavah, yeah. Now, that is the word for seven in Hebrew. And you want to know the word for completeness? It's Shavah. Everyone say Shavah. Do you notice something? It's a homonym. It's two words that sound the same but have different meanings. Shavah and Shavah. When the Hebrews heard this verse being read to them, what they heard is on the day of Shavah, everything was Shavah. On the day, on day seven, everything was complete. And this is the perfection of Eden that Adam and Eve lived in. The perfection of heaven and earth brought together in perfect harmony. But as we all know in the story, Adam and Eve sin and they're kicked out of the garden. And that perfect seventh day rest is broken. And they're cursed to work the ground and toil by the sweat of their brow in order to obtain their bread. And that's the curse we still live in today. We've been divorced from the perfect completeness and rest of God. But, this is where the story picks up later on, God sends in a rescue plan. God's got a plan to bring us back to that seventh day completeness, that seventh day rest. So turn your Bibles over a little bit to Exodus. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through through 11. If you know the story of the Old Testament, what God starts doing is he makes a covenant with a man named Abraham, and from his descendants, he starts creating the Hebrew people, and he tells them that through your people, I am going to restore the whole world to rest. But then the Hebrews have a problem. They're enslaved in Egypt, put under the toil and oppression of an evil pharaoh. And if you were here for our Exodus series a few months ago, we learned about how God miraculously liberates the Hebrews out of that oppression, out of that slavery, and starts to bring them into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of perfect rest, of abundance, of completeness. He liberates them from the chains of slavery and brings them into the wilderness and then establishes a law in the book of Exodus where he tells them, okay, I'm going to make you into the type of people who can bring heaven to earth. Let me give you the guidelines of how to do this. And so in the Ten Commandments, I know many of us have read this before, but I think that it's really good to see this with new eyes. Read with me Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Here we get that image again of the special completeness of that seventh day rest. And here's what's really fascinating about this. If you go on in the book of Exodus and you look at the other 613 laws that the Hebrews are given, they are actually set up in a calendar based on seven 
based on completeness. So every seventh day, they are told you must rest, but also every year, they would have seven festivals in which they would celebrate the goodness of God and rest and feast. On top of that, every seven years was a year of celebration where they would let the land rest. They would not farm on the land. They would also set all the slaves free in the seventh year. But not only that, every seven times seventh year was supposed to be the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was the ultimate party of rest. For the whole year, all the land that had been borrowed and sold uh, was given back to the original owners. All the debt that people had was forgiven. How many of you would really like a year of Jubilee? Just like all your credit card debt, all your student loans, canceled. Seven times seventh year. Like, oh, beautiful. But here's the problem. The Hebrews enter that promised land. They're told, take this time to find rest But over and over again, they forget to put their trust in God and find their rest in him. And instead, they try to find their security in idols, in other kingdoms, in the power of their arms, in their money. They forget the promise of God. And so God gives them over to oppression of other kingdoms. And they are taken over by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Persians and finally the Romans. And all during that time, the Hebrew prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah tell the Hebrew people, you've lost this Sabbath day rest, but let me tell you, one day there's going to be a king, a Messiah who comes in and he will bring about the ultimate jubilee. They called it the day of the Lord, the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate restoration and completeness where we are restored to that perfect place where we were meant to be. Andrew Wiley, uh, who's a theologian, he puts it this way about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath in the Old Testament is the link between the paradise which has passed away and the paradise that is yet to come. When the Hebrews practiced the Sabbath, it was a day of remembering what it was like to live in the garden and what it will be like in the future when that garden and that heaven is recovered. It's a day of remembrance and a day of hope. So now we can go into Mark chapter 2. You guys still with me? Yeah, okay, I know that was a lot, a lot of Hebrew words I'm throwing at you. You guys didn't know you were going to become linguists today. You're welcome. Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Go ahead and read with me. If you're there, say, I got it. Okay. One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath 
was made for mankind and not mankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pause right there for just a second. The key point that I want to bring out of this passage right here is that the Sabbath was made for you, not the other way around. The Sabbath is a gift that God has given us. A holy time set aside where we can enter into his rest to remember what it was like to be in the Garden of Eden. To hope for what it will be like when we enter heaven. It's a time for you to recuperate, to reflect upon who God is, to be grateful for what he has done and what he is doing through you. What Jesus is doing in this passage is he's not challenging the goodness of the Sabbath. He's challenging the Pharisees' interpretation of it, which is far too legalistic. See, at the time period, the Pharisees had constructed on top of the laws already given in Exodus, they had actually put on top of it another 6,000 laws to add on to it. There were things that were in the lockout of the Pharisees where they said, if you were practicing Judaism, you could not walk more than a mile on the Sabbath. Uh, you cannot pick up anything over a few pounds on the Sabbath. What they had done is they had transformed a Sabbath gift intended to be a blessing, and they had made it a curse. Christ is challenging the Pharisees. He's not denying the goodness of Sabbath. Instead, he's saying, this is not something made to oppress or to be a burden. This is a time for you to shake off your burden, to have that final rest. Uh, Marva J. Dean, uh, a theologian, puts it this way. She says, when we think of the Sabbath, Sabbath ceasing, remember Sabbath means to stop, to cease, means to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive. From the worry and tension that accompany our modern criterion of efficiency. From our efforts, and listen carefully to this, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God. From our possessiveness and our enculturation. And finally, from the humdrum and meaninglessness that result when our life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. I think that many times when we forget the Sabbath, what we're doing is actually trying to have the control over our lives that only God can truly have. It's a position of pride. And I, this was me about a year ago. I had this moment where I, really it was not so much uh, that I just wanted to be a good worker, but it was I want to control my life. I want to bring about my own rest. I want to secure this for myself. And God invites us to say, listen, you're not God. Reflect upon that every week. You're not God. You're not in control. Rest in me. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The Sabbath practice is an important one. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was by no means a theologian, but still a great man, 
said, as we keep or break the Sabbath day, we nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope by which man rises. Just a few years after Abraham Lincoln spoke those words, the theologian Dwight L. Moody said this. He said, show me a nation that has forgotten the Sabbath, and I will show you a nation with the seed of decay at its heart. Spoke that in the 1870s. How much more do we need to hear that message today? So you may be asking, like, okay, Jamin, that's good and great. I'm glad, you know, Sabbath is good. It's a blessing. That's awesome. But how do I actually practice this? What are the, the actual concrete things I can do to practice the Sabbath? Well, uh, based on a lot of the books I've read on the Sabbath, teachings from the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition, I put together a really short and concise list I just want to share with you guys very quickly. We're not going to dwell on it super long, but I want to share this with you so that if you're confused, like, how do I actually do this, you can kind of figure it out. I call this list, How to Stop. How to Stop. How to Cease. Okay? You guys ready for this? Okay, good. Yeah, if you got a pen, write this down. These are, these are good. These are good. These transformed my life this year. They really did. Number one, schedule it. Unless you do, you'll always find an excuse to forget. Unless you actually take the time to say, this day of the week is a day of rest for me and for my family, you're never going to actually do it. Take the time to schedule it. Let your boss know, hey, I'm not answering emails on this day. This is my day of rest. Let people know this is your time to rest. Number two, you guys are going to love this one. Sleep in or take a nap. Sleep. Actually, in the old tradition, the Hebrews used to call the naps you would take on the Sabbath, they had a phrase for it. They called it the Shabbat Shluff. Take time to enjoy a Shabbat schluff. Allow your body to get the rest that it needs so that you can also find rest for your mind and for your spirit. Number three, spend some time alone in prayer and meditation upon Scripture. Allow your mind and your soul to be filled with the word of God. I think that our culture is starved today for silence and solitude. We do not take enough time to sit in silence alone and reflect. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the 15th century philosopher, put it this way. He said, all of man's unhappiness stems from his inability to sit quietly in his own room. Think about that for a second. I think it's very profound. Number four, turn off your phone and any other electronic devices that eat up your time and tend to make you more restless. This is an important one and one I think that we really need to hear. Uh, oftentimes, we don't even realize it, but our phones are a gateway to restlessness. Many of the apps that you use on a daily basis have been geared to make money off of you, 
to make you feel insecure, to compare yourself to other people. Every time you tap onto Instagram or Facebook and you see the pictures of other people going on vacations or they have a nice outfit or something like that, you look at it and you feel insecure. You feel like, well, what do I have to do to get this kind of praise? What do I have to buy? How do I have to improve for this? It is a dangerous place to be. So do yourself a favor. Take a break from the technology. Set it down. Reflect on life as it is here and now. Number five, eat a good meal with your family and friends and neighbors. Enjoy the community God has given you. This is a, a practice that stretches back all the way to the beginning of the Sabbath. Have a feast. Enjoy the people around you. Be thankful for your community. Spend time getting to know them better Enjoy a meal. Have some good food. Number six, do something life-affirming and relaxing. Go on a walk. Sip some tea sitting by a window. Read a book you enjoy. Play an instrument. Don't do anything productive. Nothing that, you know, you have to get it done, but just something that is good, life-affirming, something that is for its own sake. And many of us have different things. We would answer this question differently. It's a great thing to do on the Sabbath. And number seven, and this is probably the most important one, be thankful for what God has given you. Take a day where you stop worrying about what you can get or what you can produce. Stop worrying about the consumerism of our culture. And just be thankful for what God has given you in this life. Enjoy the blessings that he has given you. Now, there is a danger here in what I've just told you. Here's the danger, and this is what the Hebrews encountered. Just practicing this every week doesn't necessarily make us whole. It's a good practice. It helps us remember the paradise we've lost and the paradise yet to come, but it doesn't actually bring us into that new paradise. We need something more, and that is, is what Jesus is going to be telling us here in Mark. So turn a little bit. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. We're continuing our verse here. Jesus says, or, uh, it says here, Again he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. A key idea of this passage I want to share with you this morning. Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath. He came to fulfill it. Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath. He came to fulfill it. 
In the previous passage, Jesus uh, references 1 Samuel chapter 21 when he talks about David, how he went to go and take the bread. What Jesus is doing there is he is comparing himself to David. The Hebrews would have known that what Jesus is saying is, I'm in the lineage of David. I'm the Messiah coming in to bring healing. And then in this passage right here, what we see Jesus doing is Jesus calls to this man with a withered hand, a man who's broken, who is a beggar on the street because he cannot work because of a disability. But more than that, this is a man who would have not been allowed to enter the synagogue because of his withered hand. He would have been regarded as unclean and would have not been allowed to worship God in the synagogue at all. So God, or Jesus, as he enters in there, he looks around at the people. He sees that the Pharisees are trying to trip him up. He sees the man with a withered hand, and he says, today is the day of the Sabbath. Today is the day we bring restoration. And he calls that man. He says, come to me. Stretch out your hand. Take that part of you that is the essence of your shame, the part of you that's broken and mangled the part of you that has kept you from the presence of God. Stretch it out so all can see. And as the man takes that step of faith and stretches out his hand, Christ makes it whole. This is the message of Sabbath. The kingdom of God is entering into the world and the restoration is beginning. Christ is initiating our journey back into seventh day offers that to us today. God wants us to be restored, but we must stretch out our withered hands to him. We must lay down all the burdens and the worries and the brokenness and the bitterness that has kept us from God, that has kept us in this state of restlessness, open it up and expose it to him so that he can bring healing and restoration to our lives. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you stand with me today? just a moment we're going to enter a time of worship but there are two groups of people that I want to pray for here today the first are those of you who have never taken that step of asking Christ to bring rest to your soul those of you who have sought rest in the things of the world in accumulation and in accomplishment and you felt that tension the burden the restlessness upon your heart God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to you and asking you, will you stretch out your hand to me? Will you take out that which is broken and embittered so that I can bring you rest? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you, if you feel that is you here today, would you raise your hand in faith today? Would you stretch out your hand like that man in the synagogue? Thank you. 
Second group of people I want to pray for today are those of you who have received the call of Christ. You've made God Lord of your life, but still you find yourself taking the place of God in your day-to-day -day life. You try to wrestle control away from God. You try to seek your rest in things that ultimately will fail. God is speaking to you today as well. And he's asking you if there is anything in your life that's keeping you from me. Any burden, any weariness, any restlessness, any hurt, any bitterness, any unforgiveness, I want you to lay it down today. If you feel like that's you, you have something on your heart that you want God to bring healing and restoration to, would you take that step of faith and raise your hand? Reach out your hand like that man in the synagogue. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want you to pray with me today, and then we're going to enter into a time of worship. Lord, we thank you so much for your plan to bring us back into rest. I pray, Lord, for all the people here today that took that step of faith and raised their hands, that right now you would begin a divine work in their lives, that you would begin to bring healing to their physical life, to their mental life, to their spiritual life that you would bring your Sabbath day restoration right now, Lord. As we step out in faith and reach out our hands like the man with a withered hand, I pray that you would meet us in our brokenness, that you would bring us into your rest. We love you, Lord. Amen.